The angel came to Mary. The angel spoke to Joseph in a dream. The angel and the multitude came to the shepherds. But these men from a far off distance are led by a star. And scripture tells us they traveled for a while. It wasn't like the baby was born on Christmas and they showed up the day after Christmas. This was a journey for them. More than likely, this was almost a year and a half, two year journey for these men to seek out this child, this king. We know their interaction with King Herod, who was not impressed or excited by the fact that there was a competition in his kingdom that another king had been born. And even his intentions were not what they seemed to be when he told these men, go find the baby so I can come and worship also. And we know that when these men showed up, they didn't show up empty-handed. They showed up with gold, with frankincense, and with myrrh, gifts fit for a king. But here's why the wise men, the magi, are so interesting in the Christmas narrative. Because they really don't fit, if you think about it. Elizabeth and Zechariah are Jewish. Mary and Joseph are Jewish. The shepherds are Jewish. They were expecting, they were hoping, they were anticipating the Messiah. But these magi, these wise men, they're Gentiles. They are strangers in a land seeking a king. And as I think about their part in this Christmas narrative, I think about how it was the Gentiles that came into the scene. Here's the question that pops into my mind, and for the longest, I've never really thought about it in this context. And here's the question I want to think about this morning as we look at this idea of the love that God shows us through His Son. The question, the statement is simply this. When did we realize that the birth of Christ brings together a wide variety of people across many different divides and contrasts. Think about that for a moment. We're introduced to a priest, a religious man, and his wife. We're introduced to a teenager and her soon-to-be husband. We're introduced to the shepherds who are the lowliest of the lowliest, but they're literally the low man on the ladder. And then we're ultimately introduced to these magi, these travelers from the east, these stargazers, these mystics. And it's interesting that these magi show up because look who's not at the birth of Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and really those spiritual VIPs are at the birth of our Savior. But these Gentiles, these wise men show up. And here's what I'm reminded of. And it's simply this, that Christ the Messiah brings salvation and restoration to all people, not just the Jews. Jesus came for everyone. He didn't come for just Zachariah and Elizabeth. He didn't come for just Mary and Joseph. He didn't come just for the shepherds. He came for the entire world. We know that because of the Magi, these wise men seek out the Messiah, these holy men. And as we think about this story, we think about everything that takes place, you really look at this cast of characters that God has assembled from the arrival of his son. And they're not what we would expect. These aren't the most influential people in the neighborhood. 
These aren't the high society people. It's a spectrum from different walks, different parts of life. We have old, we have young, we have those who are local, we have those from afar. Um, this ragtag bunch comes to be at the feet of the birth of our Lord and Savior. And isn't it interesting that it's the birth of Jesus Christ that brings together these different groups of people? He breaks down the walls that divide us. He breaks down, he breaks down the barriers we tend to try to put up around us. It creates this bridge so that everyone has access to the Father through the Son. With Jesus, there are no divisions. With Jesus, it's not this people group and this people group, and you separate them and put them in their own little parts of the world. Jesus came for everyone, and this is the love we're looking at this morning, this love that every one of us should have. We know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. So in our time this morning, I will look at three things when we think about this word love as we finish up this series and understand that, yes, our goal has been to rediscover Christmas in the craziness of 2020. But it doesn't stop at Christmas. We still have that hope going into the next year. We still have that peace going into the next year. We still have that joy going into the next year. And ultimately, we should have this love that Christ has for us as we move into the new year. So three things very quickly. Here's the first one. Christ is love embodied. Christ is love embodied. The Bible talks about love in many different places. We see that the Bible is God's love story for humanity from creation. At the very beginning, God made people to share and spend time with them as companions, as children. And once sin entered the world, separation took place. When sin came into the world, it brought death, it brought brokenness. And that close relationship that man had in the garden was, was pushed apart because of the sin, because of what had taken place. And God had to come back in a way. And through generation, through generation, he's been working his plan. We know there was a plan if you go back to Genesis. There was a plan after the fall. It wasn't as if Adam and Eve messed up and God said, well, I'll try again next time. God had a plan in place, and we see it unfold through Scripture. We see that the coming of the Messiah was to restore the relationship that God had with man. When Jesus shows up, Scripture describes Jesus as the groom, and the church is his bride. This is the relationship that God brings us into. It's a relationship of love. It's a reunion of love within itself. And John describes this with great clarity. Take your copy of God's Word. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And just so I can put you all at ease, I did mark my Bible correctly this week. Some of you understand, some of you I'll explain later. But in 1 John chapter 4, we see this picture of love, of love embodied in our Lord and Savior, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Listen to what John says, and he's talking to us and reminding us what love looks like. 
You know, why we have this love? Because of the relationship we have with the Father through the Son. Starting in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time if we love one another. God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. If we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in love. At least ten times we see the word love in this passage of Scripture. So we know love is the key of this section of Scripture. And what John is telling us, what John is reminding us here in 1 John chapter 4, is that God is love. God personifies it. God reflects it. God, it's his nature. Love is his nature. And he has shown his love to me. He has shown his love to you by sending his son into this world to die for our sins. So in your outline, I put this statement. When we come to Jesus, giving him our lives, we are restored in love. Let me paint a better picture for you. I can't love my family, and I can't love my neighbor if I don't love God first. God has to be first in my life, and I have to love him first and foremost. If I don't love him, how can I love those around him? If I don't love him, how am I letting his love be reflected in my life? Because notice what the statement says. It says, when we come to Jesus, giving him our lives, we are restored to love. If I love the way the world tells me to love, that means I'll love something till it breaks. I'll love something until it gets messed up. Let me give you a practical example. I love my iPad. And I can put my notes on it. And I can see them. And I can make them really, really big. But you know what happens when it doesn't work anymore? It doesn't serve a purpose. And so how does my love relationship work with my iPad when it doesn't work? Not too good. Because I'm putting love in an object that's going to let me down. I can put love in a person, and that person can let me down. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that the minute I put my faith, my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Father, His love is everlasting. He will not fail me. He will never stop loving me. Will He be disappointed in me? Yes. Will I make mistakes? 
Yes. Because I was with him. But he will never stop loving me. That's the reminder. And because he loves us, we are compelled. Think about that for a moment. Looking back at the passage here in John, verse John chapter 4. It says, if God loves us in verse 4, we ought to love one another. That should be a given. It should be a given that we love others because God loved us first. So we are compelled to love one another because he lives in us and he desires for us to reflect his love towards others. Listen, I can count on God's love. I've already made this statement because he won't let me down. Will I let him down? Yes. But it's because of his love that it fills me, that it fuels me, and it calls me, and it enables me to love another person the way God loves them. And that is his desire for us. And that's that love that came when Jesus was born. Think about the love that's there through those people who come to visit this child, these shepherds, because the angel told them to go. They go, but they're driven because of this love, because they know the promise of the Messiah. The same thing with Mary and Joseph. It's the love that God had for them that drove them, propelled them to walk this strange road of life knowing that people were going to talk about it. People were going to put them to shame. People were going to talk behind their back and make fun of them. Yet the love of God compels them to move forward no matter what others said to them or about them. That's the reminder for us because this love, it compels and enables and it calls us to love one another. And it brings me to my next point. Love defines and propels us. Love defines and propels us. When Jesus came, he brought reconnection. He brought restoration to love through himself and in himself. When Jesus was near the end of his life, he has that moment in the other room with the disciples. And they have the Passover meal. That is Jesus' desire to eat that meal with them one more time before he was to be arrested and ultimately crucified for our sins. But as Jesus is in the upper room with them, and he's talking with them, he makes this statement, and it's found in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, and this is what scripture says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he wants them to make sure that they love like he does. That they love like he showed. Jesus was telling them, listen, you know how they're going to know you're my followers is by how you love. It's the love you show other people. Listen, you have heard this statement before. How will people know we are Christians? You've heard the statement. How will people know we are Christians? Is it by our prayer life? Is it by the number of times we come to church? Is it by the number of times we read our scripture? No, it's by our love. That's how we'll know. That's how the world will know you're a Christian. It's by your love for those around you. And sometimes we do a very poor job of reflecting. We put conditions on it. 
Because the world says, I'll love you if the world you. But nowhere do we see that condition when it comes to the love that God has for us. Love is what defines us, it marks us, it characterizes us. And too many times in church history, we tend to point the finger at others because we're not willing to show them the love that God has shown us. Listen, none of us are perfect. We understand that. But we're still called to love those around us as individuals and as the church of Jesus Christ. We should be looking for opportunities to love those around us in spite of the culture and the climate around us. We should allow God to work in us and through us and through others to show the same love to those who don't know God, that love that he has shown us over and over again. It is because that love that is in our heart, that love that rests in us as individuals, it defines us and it propels us. It moves us forward to follow his will and follow his desires. But here's the most important aspect of love. It's simply this. Love empowers us to cross the borders. Love empowers us to cross the borders. I think we can all agree that we live in very divided times. We're divided culturally, we're divided racially, we're divided politically, we're divided nationally, we're divided in our world. It's this mentality of us and them, and it's been running really high of late. It's this mentality of do as I say, not as I do. And it's a mentality that's prevalent in our world. And listen, this is not an excuse for those who think this way. But listen, if we look through history, we know there has always been those who are weak and powerful, those who have and those who have not, those who have too much versus those who don't have any, and that's been going on since the days of Jesus, and even further back in history, we look through it. But this is why Jesus' teachings is so radical. Jesus calls us to love those around us, not because of who they are, not because of what they are, not because of how they dress, how they look, where they work, where they live. It's to look at them as an individual. And one of the greatest passages in Scripture the greatest passage of scripture that shows us what love looks like, how love crosses that border, is now over in Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, he says these words. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is telling them the truth right now. He's reminding them what the word says, what the law says. He says, you've heard it said, you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Look at verse 44. This is when Jesus shows up and he flips the script, so to speak. Because look what Jesus says. He makes the statement in verse 43. But look what he says in verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Imagine being in the crowd and Jesus makes that statement. And imagine how many eyebrows pop Jesus said, you've heard it said this way. It is truth. But I say to you, and these are Jesus' words coming forth, and Jesus tells us, listen, as a child of God, love your neighbor, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Listen, when Jesus came, not only did he tear down the walls of the vision at his birth, he continually reaches across this chasm of separation and exclusion. When Jesus was born, he took down that wall and says, listen, you're not like me, so I shouldn't talk to you. You don't dress like me, so I shouldn't hang around with you. You don't like to do the things that I like to do. I shouldn't even acknowledge your existence. And Jesus takes that wall and tears it down. Think about this for a moment. Jesus is one of his own disciples, was one of the most hated men in town. He was a tax collector. You thought the shepherd was the little man on the ladder. The tax collector was right next to him. Nobody was out with a tax collector. Yet it's Jesus who wants him to Matthew and says, follow me. And Matthew leaves the table and follows Jesus. This is the same Jesus who tore down this wall when he sits by a well in Samaria and a woman comes to him and he asks her for a drink of water. And he breaks all sorts of rules there. He's talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a woman. Yet he breaks down those walls that divide. He breaks down those walls that we tend to put up. And here's even a bigger one. Jesus told those who were listening to him, listen, if a Roman soldier comes to you and tells you to carry his pack for a mile, you go two miles. The Roman, a Roman soldier could tell you a Jewish citizen to pick up their backpack and walk a mile Forced labor, so to speak. But Jesus tells those who are listening, listen, if that Roman soldier comes to you and tells you to pick up that backpack and carry one mile, you go to. You're demonstrating love by breaking down the barriers that separate us, the barriers that we tend to put up. Again, let me show you a great example of this. Take your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is a very familiar passage of scripture, but it's probably the most powerful example of unexpected love in action. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is challenged with a question. And you're going to know this passage when you get to it. But ultimately, the question is asked of Jesus is, who's my neighbor? And Jesus shares this parable starting in verse 30. And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. 
So he went to them, banished his wound, pouring on oil and wine, and he sent him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two of their and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. This is a challenge and a reminder for us, but it was astonishing to those who were listening to it. Those in the crowd, as Jesus hears this parable, they hear that word Samaritan. The Jews hated them. There was racism against the Samaritans. They went back centuries when the kingdom of Israel was divided. And the Samaritans intermarried with those who had come back from captivity. And they established their own temples, their own form of worship. To the Jews, the Samaritans were an inferior race with a corrupt religion imbued with prejudice and disdain. But Jesus is holding up this example of what it looks like to love your neighbor. Jesus is crossing that divide. And what he's doing is he's reached across the cultural, the spiritual, the political, and the racial divisions that today calls us to do the very same thing. If you go back to this parable for just a moment, Jesus says a priest came by and walked on the other side. A Levite came by and walked on the other side. Here are two people, two individuals, who see this person who is hurting. This scripture says he is naked and half dead. And these two men, these two religious men, choose to put up a wall and ignore what they see. This Samaritan this individual who's despised, this individual who's rejected, stops and crosses over that barrier to get to this individual. To the point, if you look at scripture, he bandaged this man's wounds. He put oil and wine on the wounds. He put him on his own animal, takes him to an end, pays him the equivalent of two weeks worth of wages and tells the innkeeper, listen, if I owe you more, I'll pay it when I get back. This is an example of love. It's love being shown to an individual he didn't even know, but he saw a need and saw a concern and chose to do something about it. It's the same thing that Jesus did coming to this world to break down these walls that we want to put up. These walls that are intended to be spiritual, they're intended to be political, racial. And he breaks them down today and tells us to do the same thing. And this is the love that John keeps reminding us of. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. There's two more verses I want to show you this morning in that passage of scripture, scripture we read earlier. In 1 John chapter 4, we left off at verse 16. I want to read verse 16. It simply says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us, that God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Now look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. Look at the very first word you see in that passage of Scripture. John writes this, there is no fear in love. 
Let perfect love cast out fear, because fear, fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Jesus' love for us is a fearless love that calls us and enables us to cross the borders, to tear down the barriers, and to reach out above our disagreements. And listen, the fear that is driven out by love is the fear within ourselves. Ultimately, the reason you can't love other people is because you allow fear to take over. You allow fear to creep in. Because they don't look like me, they don't talk like me, they don't act like me. And we do that every day. Instead of letting God's love reflect in us and through us, what we do is we let fear overcome us. And we don't look like Jesus, we don't sound like Jesus, we don't act like Jesus. When we allow what I'm going to call the wall we put up. And the thing is, is we will put up a high wall to keep out things that we don't like. Things that we don't agree with. I think about our climate right now. In 2020, this has been the weirdest situation that any of us have ever experienced. And I'm hoping and praying that it's the last time we experienced anything like this. I mean, we can make a checklist of everything that we have seen, we have heard, and we have witnessed. And we shake our heads and ask the question, where is love in any of this? So somebody doesn't think like you, so it's okay to hit them? Somebody doesn't act like you, so it's okay to talk about them? Where is the love in that? Yet that's the world that we are involved in right now if we choose to act and live like the world tells us to live. So we put up these walls and say, you know what? As long as I'm in my space, I'm safe. But when Jesus came, Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm the savior of the world, but I'm going to put up walls and keep everybody else out. When Jesus came, the walls were torn down and the bridge was being it's the bridge that allows us access to the Father. It's a bridge that allows us to have a relationship with the Father through His Son. So what we ultimately need to do as a child of God is to tear down these walls and separate us, these walls we tend to put up and build a bridge. And I love the visual of the bridge because by walking over the bridge, it causes me to walk over that Separation, whatever it is. To get from point A to point B, I've got to walk over this bridge. For some this morning, that bridge may be walking across the divide that's within your family. It may be crossing over the divide that's in your home, in your neighborhood, in the place you work, or maybe even in your community. Not only at Christmas, but throughout the year, we are called to come together and to be the church, to be God's children, and to invite others to walk on this journey with us, to make room for them to come along with us. Love means taking that first step of 
of changing the way we act, the way we think, and the way we do things. And giving it all to God and let Him entrust Him as we continue to walk forward, as we continue to walk over this bridge. It may be that you just need to stop and listen to those around you and not speak. Listen to what someone has to say. Listen to their opinion. And then look for ways to interact and show love to them. It's a love that will change this world. It will change our communities and change the way we think when we put God first. Because God is love. The greatest gift he gave us was his son. And he showed his love for us when he allowed his son to die for our sins. I'm reminded of that when we gather together for the Lord's Supper. But I'm also reminded that at the birth of Jesus, it's a reminder of what this child was going to do for us. That he was going to live a sinless life. That he was going to spend three years preaching and teaching and showing 12 men and others around him what love looks like. This whole series has been about rediscovering Christmas. Rediscovering the overwhelming, all-encompassing, all-welcoming love of God. So as we close out this series this morning, let me ask you a question before we move to a time of invitation. Are there any walls in your life that you need to tear down to restore a relationship with someone, to restore love with someone. Everything God ever comes. Scripture says that they'll know we are Christians by our love. We are compelled to love those around us. If we allow fear to come in, we allow fear to overtake us. We allow fear to put up that wall of separation, that wall that divides. When God sent his son to this world, God was ultimately carrying down the walls of the body to build the bridge so we have access to him through his son. This week, are there some walls that you need to tear down and start building bridges? It could be a relationship at home, it could be a relationship at work, it could be a relationship in your neighborhood, whatever it is. If there's a wall that needs to be teared down, do it today. Start building that bridge, that reconciliation. Because if God doesn't send his sons to be that bridge, we still are separated from the Father. But his love for us supersedes any divisions that we become public on our own. And it's a love that will never let you down. It's a love that is everlasting. Father, as we move into this time of response, this time of invitation, my prayer is simply this, that you would work and move in the lives of individuals. And Father, my prayer is for those who may have walls that build up around them. That, Father, they would allow me to come in and tear down those walls and start building those bridges that need to be built. 
that, Father, they would experience a love that only comes from you and you alone, a love that won't let us down, a love that never fails. And, Father, a love that you show us despite the things that we may have done, the time we have failed you, the time we have messed up. And, Father, we would all experience and understand that love you have for us. And that the greatest love you showed us was when you sent your son to this world. And, Father, you sent your son for everyone. The Christmas story shows us that. You didn't just send your son for Zachariah and Elizabeth or Mary and Joseph and shepherds. You sent your son for those wise men in the east, those Gentiles. You sent your son for the Samaritans. Father, you sent your son for everyone who lives on this planet. And you give us an opportunity first to come to you. Father, you tell us to go and take So, Father, right now, move in the lives of individuals. Father, move them right now. We're going to give you the glory in all things. So, they pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. That's all. Awesome. Amen.